Welcome back to the show, everybody. Got a great episode for you today. I have four reviews, two movie reviews and two TV reviews. Going to be starting off with the movie reviews, starting with The Black Phone, starring Ethan Hawke and Mason Thames. After that, I will be reviewing Elvis, starring Austin Butler and Tom Hanks. As for my TV reviews, I will be starting with Obi-Wan Kenobi. Going to be reviewing episode six as well as uh, season one, since episode six is the finale. Don't know if they're going to make another season of that. Probably not from what I'm hearing, but who knows. Um, and that will be a non-spoiler review right up. Right off the bat, reviewing Season 1 without spoilers. Then I will get into spoilers for Episode 6, and then spoilers for Season 1. And the last thing I will review is Episode 3 of Miss Marvel, and that will be a purely spoiler review. So uh, if you didn't want any spoilers today, I put them all basically at the end of the episode. So you shall feel free to click off whenever you want. But uh, yeah, lots of great stuff to talk about today. And I just wanted to say, hey, the 25th is my birthday, so wish me a happy birthday on Instagram or wherever. So, yeah, I'm that guy who says, hey, say happy birthday to me. But, uh, yeah, I'm turning 22, and uh, I feel very old. But, yeah, without further ado, let's uh, let's thank today's sponsors, then get into the episode. I want to thank Audible for sponsoring this review and if you don't know, Audible is the best platform out there when it comes to audiobooks, podcasts, guided meditation, and even sleep sounds. Got all sorts of stuff on their platform. And right now, if you go to audibletrial.com slash popculturepodcast, you can get a free 30-day trial of Audible Premium Plus, which allows you to get one credit or two credits for Prime members. Good for any premium selection titles you like, yours to keep. And they also offered the Audible Plus catalog of podcasts, audiobooks, guided wellness, and Audible Originals. Listen all you want, no credits needed. And also, at the end of your trial, a friendly email reminder before your trial ends. And, uh, yeah, it's a really great service. I listen, I, I don't get a chance to listen to too many audiobooks, but I do love to listen to podcasts. I also really love the sleep sounds. I use them every single night, so I highly recommend you check out this service. It's fantastic, and uh, once again, that link is audibletrial.com slash popculturepodcast. Now on with the review. It's 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Black Phone 2022 is directed by Scott Derrickson. The screenplay is also written by Scott Derrickson and Robert Cargill. And based on the short story, The Black Phone by Joe Hill. And um, yeah, while watching the movie, I was like, this seems like it could have been based on a book. And it isn't until now that I realized that it was. But um, yeah, maybe I'll have to read that at some point. I don't read a whole lot, but maybe, uh, maybe I'll get Audible or something like that to Go listen to it but yeah um the plot here after being abducted by a child killer and locked in a soundproof basement a 13 year old boy starts receiving calls on a disconnected phone from the killer's previous victims so this movie has supernatural elements but it also has very realistic elements to it you know like child abduction and stuff like that and that's the main draw for me with this movie um what made me want to see it but also kind of made me not want to see it um it's just a really sensitive topic I mean I've never had somebody close to me be abducted but just the idea of it terrifies me so part of me was like I mean I'm definitely gonna watch this movie but part of me just doesn't want to because it just freaks me out but yeah um Ethan Hawke is in this movie as the grabber he never gets an actual name I don't think uh, he's just known as the Grabber, and um, he's the one kidnapping kids and killing them and all that, all that fun stuff. Um, 
we also have Mason Thames as the main character, Finney, and I thought he was very good in the movie. Um, this kid looks really familiar. Have I seen him in anything? I don't think I have. Let me see. Nope. He kind of looks like a younger, um, you know what? He kind of looks like a cross between that one kid from Honey Boy. I cannot remember his name for the life of me at the moment. Oh, shoot. What's that kid's name? Uh, he's also in, um, he's also in A Quiet Place. Can't think of his name, but he kind of looks like a mix between that and, uh, Zachary Gordon, I think his name is, from the original, uh, Diary of a Wimpy Kid movies. But he looks a lot like that one kid from A Quiet Place. For a bit there, I was like, is that that kid? But I was like, no, it's not. Um, <clears throat> Madeline McGraw in here as Gwen, that's the sister to, uh, to Finney. I thought her character was really interesting in this movie. Um, if you saw the trailer, you'll know that she kind of has these dreams, and so she can see certain things that happen. Uh, so she's kind of like a clairvoyant, I think, uh, would be the definition of that. Um, but yeah, Ethan Hawke as the Grabber. Definitely, definitely, definitely one of the most creepiest roles I've ever seen Ethan Hawke in. You know, I, I really don't think I've seen him in a whole lot, to be completely honest. Obviously, I watched him in Moon Knight. Um... What else have I seen this guy in? I really don't think I've seen him in much, to be honest. Uh, the Northman, I did see him in that. He was kind of creepy in that. Uh, what else? I don't know if there's anything else, to be honest. Yeah, I, I really need to watch his movies if, uh, if that's not already obvious. I guess he was in Sinister. Did I watch that one? I think I may have watched that one. No, I'm thinking of uh, uh, Insidious. Looks like he's done a little bit of Robot Chicken. Yeah, I really haven't had a, you know, a lot of uh, experience with this actor, but he was really, really creepy in this movie. Um, probably, probably the main draw for a lot of people going into this movie is Ethan Hawke being, you know, a child abductor, and uh, he plays it very well. That's for sure. And uh, I gotta tell you, this this movie, this this is definitely a horror movie. It's not necessarily the most, like, jump-scary movie I've ever seen. Uh, there were maybe, like, two jump scares in the movie. Um, Alright, there were probably more than that. But for me, jump scares are just, like, things popping up out of nowhere. Um, there were only a couple moments like that in here. For this movie, it's more about the suspense and the horror of it, which is funny because it has supernatural elements, but the supernatural elements actually played to the main character's favor. Um, <clears throat> rather than having the supernatural presence be a danger to the main character, to the protagonist, it's actually an, an asset to him. So I thought that was a really cool spin on that. Um, it's a pretty straightforward movie, I won't lie to you, but something about it just like, had me on the edge of my seat. I was rooting for the characters, mainly Finny because he's the main character and, you know, that's kind of the only one, aside from Gwen, that you really get attached to. I got attached to both of them for sure, but Finny was obviously the one in more danger. Um, so yeah, it really, I felt the sense of danger with this kid. I was, you know, trying to think of different ways he could possibly get out. Um, it was almost like an escape room in, in a way. I think, uh, this, <clears throat> this movie would make, make a really cool escape room. Um, you know, trying to get out of the basement and stuff. And, uh, they definitely have a lot of interesting ideas that don't necessarily pan out, but a lot of interesting ones for sure. Got some Shawshank in there with the, you know, digging a hole in the wall. But, um, yeah, lots of, lots of interesting ideas on how to try to get out and, um, I'm trying to, like, dodge spoilers here because, man, the ending of the movie was fantastic. I loved the ending of the movie. I was just like, yes, 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 yes. Um, so hopefully that, my reaction to that doesn't spoil you, spoil it for you guys because I really do highly recommend this movie. I'm actually going to give it a really good rating right now because, um, yeah, I mean, maybe it's just compared to Elvis. I watched both of these movies. Um, in the same day, and I really didn't like Elvis, so um, maybe I just was refreshed to actually watch a pretty good movie. Um, 
but I, I really do think that this movie stood out to me. It's, it's possible that this might end up on my top 10 favorites of this year. There's a lot of other movies coming out, so it might get swept under the rug a little bit, but I really do appreciate what this movie was trying to do. The actors were all pretty, pretty great in here, except for, you know, maybe a couple child actors that weren't necessarily in the main role. Um, but yeah, very little complaints about this movie for sure. Had me on the edge of my seat. Um, had really, you know, you know, characters, protagonists you could root for. Had a really great antagonist. Even though you don't learn a whole lot about the antagonist, you don't need to because just, you know, having the grabber here, Ethan Hawke, be just so fucking maniacal and creepy and just, you know, um, what's the other word I'm looking for here? Meticulous with uh, the way he wants to do things. It, that's like all you need really with the killer. You don't need to develop too much of a story, uh, like too much of a backstory to really make the character work. And they, they give small hints, but they, they don't outright say it. This movie, and I appreciate when movies do this, when a movie is straightforward enough to where you can kind of fill in some blanks and it doesn't feel like it needs to explain everything. Um, you know, there's movies out there that really need to explain everything, or not everything, but really need to explain things like Christopher Nolan films. There's a lot of his movies that I just don't like. Like Interstellar, I think it's great visually, but he just doesn't explain things. And he has these really bold ideas that nobody can really wrap their heads around. And with Inception, it kind of works for that movie. But, um, you know, for, you know, Tenet and uh, Interstellar, it kind of, does it a disservice and with a movie like this you know it's not as crazy as interstellar it doesn't have these insane insane just mind warping plots uh but for a simple movie it knew what it was and it didn't feel like it needed to explain any further about why this guy is the way he is because you can kind of just put two and two together we know these kinds of people we know the kind of fucked up shit that they can have in their head past trauma whatever it might be so um yeah, I, I like it when a movie doesn't feel like they need to explain every little thing. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a pretty great movie. So the rating I will give for it is 8.5 out of 10. I was close to giving it a 9, but due to the kind of simplicity of the movie, I don't think it deserved any more than that. Not, not to be harsh or anything, but 8.5 is still a really great score. So I highly recommend that you guys check out this film. It was surprisingly good. I wasn't expecting much from it. And what I got, I was really impressed with and really happy with. And I don't know if I'm going to end up watching it in the theater again, but when it comes out on digital or wherever it might be, I will definitely, um, I will definitely have to check that out again and also recommend it to other people because, yeah, I mean, it's one of the best horror movies I've seen in the last, I don't know, two, three years, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, I don't get scared from horror movies too, too often. But this one, it really had me, like, my heart was beating really fast, and I was getting kind of shaky. I was, like, really nervous watching this movie. And that's something that uh, scary movies don't do very often for me. So, gotta give it props for that. But, yeah, have you seen The Black Phone? What did you think? Comment down below. Please, no spoilers. Also, leave a like on the video and subscribe. I would very much appreciate it. And I will see you guys in the next one. What should my next video be? I'm not sure. Um, it'll probably be next week, most likely. Does Thor come out next week? I don't know for sure, but maybe it will be. But uh, as for right now, that's all I got for you. So I will see you guys in the next video. All right. So 2022's Elvis is written and directed by Baz Luhrmann. I'm pretty sure it's written by him, at least. I know for sure that it's directed by him. But uh, he has worked on The Great Gatsby with uh, with Tobey Maguire and Leonardo DiCaprio. And I'm pretty sure that's the only movie I've seen that he's done. By the way, if I look sweaty, it's because I am. This car is hot and uh, I don't have any air on right now. So I'm going to try to make this review a little quick, but also make it long enough to have like a decent review for this movie. Um, I'm in between movies at the moment, which is why I'm not recording at home going to see the black phone after this probably how much longer i don't know about an hour so i got some time to kill but yeah um elvis you got austin butler as elvis and 
just from the trailers alone, I knew he would do a good job. A lot of people were like, hey, he doesn't really look like Elvis. They didn't make him look like Elvis that much. I think he looked a lot like Elvis. I wasn't alive. Well, I, I definitely wasn't alive when Elvis was alive. And I wasn't alive when he was like a huge hit. So I didn't watch like a whole lot of videos. Also, there's cars going by. Just ignore it. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't alive when Elvis was around. He died way before I was born in 1977 and I've never been super connected to Elvis as an artist I mean I always liked seeing the Elvis references and hearing the Elvis music in Lilo and Stitch and that's probably like one of the biggest influences that Elvis has had like in terms of movies and TV that I've seen and like content that I've I've consumed um I mean, love that stuff in um, in Lilo and Stitch with Elvis and just having the music and stuff like that. It goes very nicely with the uh, the movie. And also, Elvis had a really big concert that he did in Hawaii that was, um, it was, uh, what's the word? I'm Telegraphed. Yeah, it was telegraphed and like billions of people watched it. But um, yeah, he has a big influence there for sure. And I think he's probably done some movies there as well. Um, Elvis, as many of you probably know, but as some of you may not know, he was mainly a musical artist, but he also did acting. There's one movie in particular that I've seen of his, and that's Viva Las Vegas. Don't think I've ever watched any of his other movies, but, um, yeah, he's had his hand in a lot of different things. And the person pulling the strings behind that is, uh, is Colonel Tom Parker, played by Tom Hanks in this movie. And... I will say, I usually try not to watch reviews before I see movies, but I watched the Double Toasted review. By the way, go check them out on YouTube and Twitch and all that stuff. Um, I watched their review of it, and they basically said that Tom Hanks in this movie felt like a, cart a cartoon character. And after watching the film and just seeing him for a little bit, like towards the beginning, I'm like, yeah, I can definitely see what they mean. He is very much a cartoon kind of villainish kind of character in this movie and that's supposed to be what he was made out to be he's he's a fucking shitty dude but um i don't know at times it felt a little uh a little too cartoony with his character um i'm not gonna give any specific lines that he says or anything like that but he's just really a slimy dude and there's like there's times where he has like super villain monologues and stuff like that. And he's very manipulative. You can see that with a lot of the things that he says to Elvis in this movie to try to keep him with him. But um, not a good dude at all. But in the movie, just kind of played off to be a little a little too cartoony. Um, there's other actors in here that I weren't I wasn't aware that were going to be in here. Cody Smith McPhee, I believe is his name. Um, I remember him from X-Men Apocalypse. He played Nightcrawler there. I also think he might have... Oh, no, he didn't do Ender's Game. But he was also um, in that movie Power the Dog that was really popular and got name, nominated for... Um, I can't fucking talk. Got nominated for Oscars and has Benedict Cumberbatch on it. It's a Netflix movie. I didn't watch much of it, but um, yeah, I remember him being in that movie, by the way. No, it's here. Um... Also, Doc, uh, Dacker Montgomery, hopefully I'm saying his name right, who played Billy on Stranger Things. He was one of the characters in here. And uh, I knew I recognized the character in the trailer. I was like, that guy looks familiar. Um, but I couldn't put my name, or couldn't put a name to his face. And I didn't look it up at the time. I only looked it up after the movie. And I was like, oh yeah, that is uh, Dacker Montgomery. I don't know if it's Dacker or Daker. I think it's Dacker Montgomery, but... um. Yeah, I mean, he had a small part. Uh, Cody Smith McPhee also had a kind of small part, but it was still cool to see them. There were definitely some good actors in here. Um, there was one that was in the Lord of the Rings movies, but I can't remember his name at the moment. Um, but yeah, some good actors in here. And, uh, I mean, some pretty good visual effects and stuff like that. At times, it's a little too much. Um, you know, there's scenes in Vegas where you can tell it's just like mostly CGI and it it's just too much the way they edit things um which brings me to the main reason why I do not like this movie it is super fast paced to the point where you can't take time to focus on anything I mean there's some things that are focused on more than others but for the most part like things are just kind of skimmed over 
I don't know much about Elvis's history. I don't know how much of this in the movie is accurate. I'm sure a lot of it isn't because, you know, that's just kind of how these movies are sometimes. A lot of things are played for entertainment value, but I don't know. You just never got to really connect with any of the characters like Priscilla Presley. Like you should have felt more about her, I guess. But like she's barely in the movie and that's a big character. That's a big person in Elvis's life. So for her to just be kind of uh, overshadowed by everything else kind of felt a little, kind of felt a little lame. Um, the, honestly, Elvis, this is his story for the most part. But at the end of the day, this is like, this is Colonel Tom Parker's movie. He does the narration for the movie. And, um, you know, I don't know. It's kind of weird. It's like the villain is the main character of the movie. And um, it, it's fine at times. He's like, oh, they make me out to be the villain. I'm not a bad guy. I'm just, you know, whatever. And he, he tries to justify it so many times, but he's just such a piece of shit. So... I don't know. I, I mean, I can't say much about Tom Hanks. I mean, does the does does the uh, prosthetics look good on him? For the most part, yeah. Um, but that's about all it has going for it for me. I, I think he's just too cartoony. I think he's too like villainish, and they just made it like a a cartoon movie villain. You know, that's that's basically what he is. Um, I mean, it comes across to the point where it's just like. Yeah, you can tell he's a piece of shit, but at the same time, it's like, how much of this is true? Like, he, there's one scene where he's just, like, sitting in the dark, basically, just, like, waiting for Elvis to come out of the elevator, and he's just sitting there. I'm like, that is such a supervillain move. Um, so, it, it's hard to take certain things seriously, especially, like, there was one part where Elvis was supposed to do some Christmas music, and he didn't want to do it, and, um... You know, he's, uh, you know, talking about Santa suing people and shit like that. And I'm just like, you're, you're too goofy right now. It's hard to take it seriously. Um, I mean, Austin Butler is the main thing about this movie that I love. In fact, it might be the only thing about this movie that I love. It gives it a lot of points for me for, you know, his performance. I think he definitely should get nominated for an Oscar for his performance as Elvis Presley in this movie. Um... But, I don't know, like I said, it just skims over too many things way too quickly. It it He's basically like a nobody for a minute, and then it's just like, oh, now he's basically a superstar. It just goes by, the editing is so choppy and so quick. At times, the editing can be cool, where you have like, you know, you see Elvis in one frame, and then you have him in other frames doing other things, and it's just like showing the different angles and the different viewpoints and stuff like that it's kind of cool it works for the most part but at the end of the day this movie is just like the editing is so choppy and all over the place to where it's a little hard to follow certain things for the most part you can follow it it's a pretty simple simple straightforward uh story but just the way it's edited and i think this might be a problem i have with baz lerman is just his editing um and just like the pacing of his movies i think can be a little off um, I mean, same kind of goes for Great Gatsby, but it's been a while since I've watched that. One of the things I didn't necessarily hate about Great Gatsby that other people didn't necessarily like was the use of, um, of modern music in that movie, even though it's supposed to take place in the 20s. This one, it takes place, you know, throughout the 50s, 60s, 70s, all that kind of stuff. Um, maybe even a little bit of the 40s. And there's like hip hop music in this and shit like that. I mean, there's um, Come Together, which is a song by the Beatles, but the they did the cover by uh, Gary Clark Jr., who actually has a cameo in this movie. And, um, you know, that fits for the most part. I think it fits with the scene. It definitely fit with the trailer. Um, in the movie, it didn't bother me, but when they started playing hip-hop music and stuff like that, especially since they were, like, you know, in the kind of ghetto neighborhoods, it's just like, all right, let's start playing hip hop. That's what people want to see. I'm just like, your target audience probably isn't going to be a whole lot of black people, to be honest, because Elvis took a lot from black people. And in the movie, like the other black people in there, they're like complimenting him almost for being like, oh yeah, um, you're playing that one person song. That's very cool, man. That's super cool. Um, I don't think people necessarily think that. <laughs> 
I think people are kind of pissed that Elvis kind of stuck like stole music from different people. He he changed it just enough, but some of it's just like if you listen to it, there's certain music like Hound Dog that was taken from somebody, uh, like a black artist. Um, what was the other one? Um, oh shoot. Oh no, I can't remember the other other song at the moment. But like he's taken music from other black people and he's tried to you know, there, there's been things where it's like, oh, he's on our side and stuff like that. And he's, he's, um, you know, he's progressive and stuff like that. And he loves black people and stuff. I mean, he grew up in the ghetto. He probably had black friends and stuff and had a lot of black influences, especially in his music. That's, there's no question about that. There's a lot of black influence in his music, like R and B and stuff like that. Things that stem from black people doing music. And, um, I don't know. These days, people are probably going to be a little more, maybe not triggered, but a little more upset when they find out about stuff like that. Not everybody knows about stuff like that, but if they found out, people would be a little, certain people would be freaking out, and then other people would be like, I, I don't really care, but for me personally, I'm just like, I don't know. Was he that great of a guy? I don't think so, especially with the whole, like, Priscilla shit. Um, you know, people think that he groomed her when she was 14, and uh, personally, I... I don't know for sure if that's true. Oh, excuse me. I don't know for sure, 99.9% .9 sure, uh, or like even 100%. I'm not even fucking, not even fucking 50% sure that that happened. I don't know. It's a 50-50 thing right now. But when that scene came up, when we met Priscilla, I was just like, 14. She was fucking 14, dude. 14. And you're making, just trying to seem nice and romantic and sweet. And I'm just like, I'm not buying it. I'm not. I really am not. Um, so I don't know. It's tough. I mean, like, I love a lot of these biopic movies about bands and artists. Like, Walk the Line, especially with, with this movie, that's one that comes to mind uh, with Joaquin Phoenix. That is, like, one of the best, you know, musician biopics out there, period. I think Rocket Man's pretty good. They do a lot of different things in Rocket Man, so that it's not necessarily it's not necessarily historically accurate or, um, I don't know. It's not necessarily a biopic. I mean, there's plenty in there to be a biopic, but it's a lot more artsy. And I feel like that's slightly what this film was going for, but it just didn't do it as well. And then like Bohemian Rhapsody, some people hate it. Some people love it. I personally love it. I've seen it so many times. I think, uh, can't remember his name at the moment, but the dude who played Freddie Mercury, fucking fantastic. And just love the hell out of that movie. Um, I guess it helps that these are movies from people that I actually like their music. Um, you know, what, what, what else? Uh, The Dirt, the Motley Crue movie, not a like Oscar award worthy movie, but I like it a lot. So like these biopics are typically maybe not made specifically for me, but these biopics, like, especially like period pieces. I love period pieces. If you don't know what that is, it just means like a different time period. And most of the time, it's like anything 80s and below is usually really interesting to me. So like 70s, 60s, 50s. Um, so this movie, you know, should have been something I really liked. And it was something I was really looking forward to. But at the same time, I didn't go in with too high expectations because, like I said, listen to that Double Toasted review. So I had I had uh, prior knowledge to how this movie probably was going to be. And uh, I'm not too surprised either. If I hadn't listened to that review, I probably would have you know, done the same thing, go in with, you know, medium expectations, still excited to see the movie, but, you know, not expecting it to be fantastic. And that's, that's kind of what we got. So, um, I'm going to stop the recording here. It's getting really insanely hot inside this car. I need some fresh air. So I will give you my ranking for this movie. And that is a five out of 10. Um, I'm giving it some benefit of the doubt when it comes to the Austin Butler stuff. I think he did a fantastic job in this movie and also just the aspect of it being a period piece. Uh, for those two reasons alone, that makes the movie watchable for me, but not rewatchable. I'm probably not going to be rewatching this movie. It's like almost an hour and four or not an hour. It's almost two hours and 40 minutes long. And in a way you feel like you could have, they could have cut stuff down, but at the same time they cut or not cut, but they rush through things so quickly to the point where it's just like, well, if they cut anything out, then I, there would be like just gaps here, but 
they just pass by everything so quickly. It's overly fast paced and maybe not directionless, but doesn't have a lot of focus. So for that reason, five out of 10, not great. Definitely, um, definitely not the best movie I've seen in a while. I don't think it'll end up on my top 10 worst of this year, but it's not going to end up on my top 10 best. So I want to thank you guys so much for watching slash listening. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast, leave a like on the video, comment what you thought about the movie. If you've seen it and subscribe, and I will see you guys in the next one. Obi-Wan Kenobi episode six is out now on Disney+. Plus. I know I'm a little late to my review of this, basically for an explanation here. Every Wednesday, I work at 3.30 p.m. And uh, I can stay up late enough to watch, um, you know, at least one of the episodes that come out on Disney Plus on Wednesdays. So there's Miss Marvel and then Obi-Wan Kenobi. Not anymore, because this is the last episode. But yeah, I can only stay up late enough to watch one of them. And I cannot stay up late enough to watch both of them or watch one of them and do a, re a review. Just because, you know, in L.A., they get them at midnight, depending on where you are, you know, it comes relatively somewhat early in the night. But for me, these episodes come out at 3 a.m. So, yeah, I'm not staying up that late. And if I do, I'm not staying up late to watch something that I need to review because I'll be too tired to, you know, be able to actually talk about it. But full of energy for the most part right now. I am ready to talk about this. This will be pretty much mostly spoilers. Right off the bat, I'm going to give you my non-spoiler review of this first season. After that, everything after that, completely spoilers. So, I will warn you when that's coming up. But, as for right now, let me show you my lightsaber. It's awesome. I'm so... I mean, it's a shitty lightsaber, let's be honest. It cost me five bucks at a baseball game where they were having a Star Wars night. By the way, there are pictures on my Instagram of that. Go check it out. I took pictures with Princess Leia. Um, what's that one dude's name? Grand Moff Tarkin and some uh, some stormtroopers. I think there was a desert trooper and then two stormtroopers. Um, there were other characters walking around, but um, yeah, those are just the ones I got pictures with. And I bought this for five bucks and it's made in China. It probably costed them like under a dollar to make. But uh, I love it, and it's surprisingly durable. I've definitely uh, definitely dueled quite a bit with this, but I will turn that off for now and put it off to the side so it doesn't distract me because it definitely has quite a bit. Um, season one review, non-spoilers. I don't love this show, but the last two episodes are fantastic. Everything leading up to these last two episodes was just kind of, kind of media, maybe not mediocre, but just like... I don't know, not not exactly what I wanted from this show. I, I don't necessarily know what I wanted from this show, but it's not what we got in those first four episodes. It seemed to move somewhat slowly. There was a huge cat and mouse game going on with a certain character in here that I will not mention, you know, due to spoilers. But I don't know. It, it's just not the direction I wanted it to go. Again, I don't know where I wanted the show to go. It could have done anything. I'm not... Just, just for preference, or pref preface, just to preface, is that a word, right? I don't know, it might sound stupid right now, but just for context, I love Star Wars. I grew up watching Star Wars. My favorite one is probably Return of the Jedi, even though it's not that great. That's just a really special one for me, because I used to watch it a million times as a kid. But, um, yeah, I've always loved Star Wars. I don't love the prequels. Revenge of the Sith is really good. There's great parts about the prequels. Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan, my favorite embodiment, favorite adaptation of that character is Ewan McGregor's adaptation or portrayal. Yeah, that's the word, portrayal of that character. Um, yeah, Revenge of the Sith, like that fight between Anakin and Obi-Wan, best fight in all of Star Wars. Um, but, you know, like the originals, the, you know, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, those are the best ones for me. Uh, Rogue One, I think, is a really good one. Um, Revenge of the Sith, like I said, is a pretty pretty good film for the most part. Um, Force Awakens isn't bad, but anything else other than that, I just hate. Um, the one thing I will give Phantom Menace is that uh, Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan, and Darth Maul fight. Great fight. But um, other than that, all the other movies I do not like at all. Um... <laughs> 
Except for Solo. Solo wasn't bad. Solo I'd probably put with Force Awakens. They're they're not bad, but they're not the best of Star Wars, in my opinion, at least. Uh, as for the shows, The Mandalorian is fantastic. Book of Boba Fett, I fucking hate it. And uh, as for this one, I like it, but I wish I liked it more. Um, overall, my rating for this season, if they are making another season, I, I really hope they are, but they could easily stop the story here. They, they left it open enough to where they could do stuff, but, um, you know, they left it closed off just enough to, you know, make it seem complete if they don't continue with it, if that makes sense. Um, you can see how this would gap between A New Hope and, or not A New Hope, but between the series and A New Hope. You could see, like, how things could play out there, possibly, um. There are some questions I have, but I won't mention them here, obviously, in the spoiler or non-spoiler review, but I'm a little disappointed by this show, but the last two episodes were just so fucking good to the point where it, it honestly makes things better for me. So I think I'm going to give this show a 7.5 out of 10, um, but, well, this season at least. Um, like I said, those first four episodes, kind of weak. I loved seeing Ewan McGregor. I loved seeing certain things with certain characters. But the villain they have here, I think it's the third sister or second sister. Um, Reva is what I call her. Um, at times, I didn't love her as a villain. And then in other times, I loved her as a villain, you know? Um... You know, once you start to understand certain motives and backstories, that's when things really start to get juicy, and you don't really learn any of that until episode five. Um, so, in that time, it's basically just a cat and mouse game between Obi-Wan, a specific character, and the Empire, and these Inquisitors that we've seen in the Clone Wars, and I think Rebels, but I haven't really watched much of those shows. Um... I'm trying to think of anything else I can say without spoiling anything, to be honest, but Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan is always great, and it's just as great in the show. Um, at times, he felt a little out of character from how I remember him in the original, or not the original, but, um, you know, in Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, like, he was somewhat of a different person, but also the events that took place in Revenge of the Sith could easily you know, change him as a person as well, so it's understandable to see him doing a little more, a little more darker, maybe not darker things, but being a little more slightly manipulative, just a little, not like in a toxic way, but to the point where, well, kind of toxic for some characters, but to the point where he is just trying to save his own skin and also trying to, like, help the people that he's trying to help in the show, so... Um, I don't know. For the most part, I really love this show. Basically, because of what the last two episodes did, it it really blew me away, the, the last two episodes, seriously. Like, I won't lie to you, this last episode, I cried three times. Um, some of it was because there were emotional moments. Some of it was just because it felt really nostalgic for me. Um, it was mostly the nostalgic part, but, um... Yeah, I just really loved this last episode. The fifth episode is fantastic. And I was like, how are they going to top this? I was really worried for that final episode. But by the time that final episode came around and I watched it, like just in the beginning, well, the beginning was slightly slow, just a little bit, teensy little bit. But then once it started going, it did not stop. And I loved it. Every second of it. Oh, my God. I'm still replaying moments in my head right now. But, um... Yeah, that's, that's basically all I have for, you know, the non-spoiler review for this first season and a little bit of episode six there at the end. But, um, yeah, let's get into some spoilers. So if you don't want to hear any spoilers for the first season or the series Obi-Wan Kenobi or spoilers for the last episode, I suggest you click off now. But before you do, leave a like, comment, and subscribe. By the way, people that are sticking around for spoilers, don't post any spoilers in the comments or anything like that. Let's keep it cool. But, um... Yeah, let's talk about some spoilers. I have a huge list of notes here. And I'm basically going to do a play-by-play -play for this whole episode, essentially. Maybe not every moment, but 
you know, I wrote down quite a bit here. Um, there were definitely a lot of moments where I paused and rewinded a lot of stuff. So I think I got a lot of stuff in here. But yeah, I'm going to talk about the last episode first and then just kind of give spoilers, you know, my spoiler review of season one. But uh, yeah, let's start off with episode six. In the beginning, uh, we got Reva on Tatooine. Um, she's looking for Owen. And the question I had here was in that recording, in that holograph, uh, hologram message from, I believe it was, um, oh shoot, what's his name? Bail Organa, Jimmy Smith's the man. Um, I don't think he ever mentioned Luke or the name Skywalker in that message. So, I mean, she, he did, yeah, he did end up, um, you know, mentioning Owen and stuff like that. And, mentioned the boy but they never specifically said who it is so it confused me a little bit why she would just go to Tatooine and try to kill them um it would have felt a little more it would have made sense a little more if she went there to like try to figure things out um because like imagine this moment she finds out he's a Skywalker and um you know because of what Anakin did to her and the other younglings um she wants to kill the boy and so you could kill her off, but I think <clears throat> I think she has a really redeemable moment at the end there. So I think that would have undercut it a little bit. But at the same time, it doesn't make sense necessarily why she would be so eager to kill this boy, even though she doesn't doesn't necessarily know for sure that he's a Jedi or that he's a Skywalker. But I could be wrong. I could be misreading things. Let me know down in the comments below. Well, actually, maybe don't do that for the people that are watching the non-spoiler review. But um. I feel like most of the people watching this video will probably be here for spoilers, most likely. But yeah, maybe DM me on Instagram at Pop Culture Podcast uh, if you think you have any solutions on that. But let's continue on. Uh, the refugee ship that Obi-Wan is on with all the different refugees and, um, you know, Leia, that ship is getting attacked by the Empire. Vader is right on their trail, and Obi-Wan decides to basically lower Vader away from the the refugee ship to come and get him because that's what Vader wants. And the Grand Inquisitor, even for a moment, he was like, we need to just keep going after these refugees and cut them off, you know, because we can get rid of a bigger problem and then deal with him, you know, when the time comes. But Vader, you know him, he has such a bloodlust against Obi-Wan, he just has to go for it. And, um, that leads to the great one of the greatest fights in all of Star Wars ever. I'm not even fucking shitting you. Like, oh my god. Best fucking fight. This almost, I don't know if it tops it, but this could possibly top the Anakin and Obi-Wan fight from Revenge of the Sith for me. Because, oh my god, that fight was the coolest fucking thing I've ever fucking watched, dude. Oh, you know what? I'm bringing the lightsaber back out. It was such a cool fight. Sorry, this is really loud, but... um. It was such a cool fight, and, you know, you had Vader throwing the frickin' boulders at my boy Obi-Wan, but Obi-Wan is using the Force to, like, lessen the impact or not get impacted at all from the rocks, and uh, Obi-Wan gets out of that hole that he's in. Sorry, my uh, phone's on low power mode. But, yeah, he gets out of that hole he's in, and then he's like, you know what, Vader, fuck you. <laughs> he throws rocks at this dude, and he's beating Vader. He's kicking his ass. And the lightsaber, Obi-Wan's lightsaber, ends up splitting his mask. Not completely, but just enough so you can see his face. And you can see, like, it's under prosthetics, but that's Hayden Christensen. And even with the voice, when he talks to Obi-Wan, you can hear a little bit of uh, James Earl Jones and a little bit of Hayden Christensen. So the way I always thought about it is, like, obviously it's not James Earl Jones in that suit. And you have an actor underneath that... It's most likely white. Let's, let's just say that. But um, the Vader thing, the voice, always to me, it felt like a scare tactic. You know, it's kind of like what uh, Spider-Man did in Homecoming where he did the um, enhanced interrogation, interrogation mode where his voice got really deep. It's kind of like that to me in a way where it's just in a way kind of used to scare people. Um, it could be partially because of, you know, helping, trying to help him breathe, but... Um, yeah, I always thought that was cool. And just that moment of hearing a little bit of Hayden Christensen and a little bit of James Earl Jones. So fucking cool. Uh, let me get on with the shit here. Owen and Baru fighting Reva. Um, 
you know, they hold their own a little bit. Reva's kind of injured, so they have the upper hand for the most part, but they still get bested, and Luke is on the run, and uh, Reva's going after him. He ends up falling off of a cliff, not a huge cliff, not like fucking Grand Canyon, but, you know, he falls off a ledge, ends up getting knocked out, and Reva finds him, and... She is trying to kill him, like, she wants to kill him because she wants to be with the Empire and make Daddy Vader for proud, but, um, yeah, I mean, she, she can't bring herself to do it. She's having these flashbacks of seeing just the evil in Anakin's eyes. She's having flashbacks of, you know, seeing herself as Luke Skywalker. Um, I'm pretty sure that was her, 99.9% .9 sure, like, she was seeing the child version of herself, um, but, you know, having flashbacks of her getting attacked by Anakin and both the, the other younglings getting attacked by Anakin. Um, and she couldn't bring herself to do it. But, yeah, let me see what else I have here. I already talked about most of the big stuff. Um, Obi-Wan senses Luke is in trouble and fucking books it to Tatooine. I don't know where he landed or how he got to Owen and Beru so fast, but props to my dude. Um, Reva ends up bringing Luke in her arms. He looks like he's dead, and the others probably think he's dead, too. But, um, you know, I knew that he wasn't dead, obviously. <laughs> we all knew he wasn't fucking dead. I mean, the only people in this scene who thought he was dead was Owen, Beru, and Obi-Wan. Um, even Obi-Wan probably was like, no, I can sense with the Force that he's still alive. But, um, no, I think, I think he thought he was dead, too. But we all know that he's not dead. By the way, one more thing I wanted to say about the Darth Vader and Obi-Wan fight. Even though I knew that none of the characters would die, the stakes still felt, like, huge, you know? I was still, like, on the edge of my seat, holding my breath, being like, oh my god, Obi-Wan, oh my god, Darth Vader, oh my god, Anakin, oh my god, Luke, oh my god, Owen, oh my god, Beru. Like, we know all these characters aren't gonna die because, like, they go on to be in other movies and, you know, exist in the future, but it, it still felt you know, really intense. So props to the, uh, the showrunners and the filmmakers and all that kind of stuff for keeping, keeping me on the edge of my seats. But yeah, uh, Luke isn't dead. So that's great. Um, Obi-Wan has a heart to heart with, um, with Reva, which is the first moment to make me cry in the movie, in the movie, in the sh uh, episode, in this episode, first moment to make me cry was just like, you're free. You can, you can be whoever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. And like, just seeing her face and like almost seeing the relief on her face, like, oh my God. Um, and is it possible that she might try to train to be a Jedi now? Who knows? Um, if we'll get a second season, maybe we'll find out. Let me see here. Um, we see Vader talking to Palpatine through a hologram. That was cool. Uh, Leia is back on Alderaan, and Obi-Wan comes to visit her, brings back her Lolo droid, because the Lolo droid was with him when he went to Tatooine, um, and they had a little conversation about it in the beginning of the episode, um, and then he starts talking to her, like, you know, I said I didn't know your mom and dad, but, um, you know, he's listing all these good qualities about Padme and Anakin, like, Anakin, fearless and strong, um, and Padme, like, I forget exactly what he said, but yeah, I mean, that moment made me emotional, but that wasn't what made me cry in this scene. What made me cry was when Ewan McGregor said, may the force be with you. Oh my God. Oh, such a great moment there. Um, speaking of things that he said, he said the fucking line. Like if, if you're watching this and you, uh, you didn't watch the episode and you don't care about spoilers, he said the fucking line, the hello there. Oh my God. It's when he met Luke. And he's just walking up to him. He takes a pause and he's like, hello there. And I was like, oh my God. I had to rewind it like three times. It was great. Um, let me see here. Um, and the last moment that made me cry, I'll get to in a second here. But Obi-Wan doesn't seem to be staying in the house that we see him in. Or more of a hut, I guess. I don't know. More of a cave, I guess. But he's not staying in that, that cave that we see him in, in A New Hope. So that leads me to believe that he's going on some sort of adventure to do some sort of other thing. Maybe find other Jedi. Maybe Mace Windu is still alive or some shit. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I know there's things that happen in like Rebels and Clone Wars that I just... Well, mainly Rebels because Clone Wars is all like, you know, before Revenge of the Sith. But Rebels is somewhat around this time. 
Um, there's Obi-Wan moments, moments in that, especially with Darth Maul, but I haven't watched enough of that. I don't know if I'm planning on watching in it, uh, any of it. I feel like I need to watch Clone Wars first before Rebels, but I really can't get into Clone Wars. I've tried so many times. Um, but yeah, he's just headed off doing whatever he might be doing. And I think there could possibly be another season. Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen want it, so I think it could happen. I mean, hopefully. I would love that. But, uh... The last scene of this show, this first season at least, if we do get another season, is we see a blue figure, a blue glowing figure, just off in the distance as Obi-Wan approaches, and he says, Master Qui-Gon, and the Force Ghost turns around, and it's fucking Liam Neeson as Qui-Gon Jinn, and he's like, it's about time you showed up, and he's like, I thought you would never show up, and he's like, well, we got a long way to go, so... And then they just head off into the unknown. And oh my god, that made me cry. As a Star Wars fan, just like seeing that shit and feeling nostalgic about it. Oh my god. And then just having the Darth Maul, Obi-Wan, and Qui-Gon fight be one of my favorite fights in all of Star Wars. <sighs> it was so great. It was so great. Sorry, my voice is starting to hurt, so I'm like feeling a little raspy. But that's all I have to say about episode six. Like that's that's the whole episode, essentially. Um Yeah. What a great episode. What a great last two episodes. It's just those first four episodes I'm not quite sure about, you know? I might have to go back and watch it at some point when I have the time to feel how it all, you know, comes together, you know? Um, but for the most part, it felt a little lost up until that fifth episode. So having only the last two episodes be absolute bangers and the other ones being not not great... I mean, 7.5 is still good because those last two episodes did so much for me. And this show made me cry, so it gets extra points for that. But yeah, the first season overall, I mean, the whole Leia thing, I think they spent a little too much time on it. I feel like that could have been like at least a two episode thing that they could have wrapped up there. But the way it entangles itself with everything else just makes the ending that much more perfect, you know? It, it makes it make sense why the first four episodes are the way they are because, you know, the last two episodes need to be what they are. Um, for the, I don't love it, but I don't hate it either. So it's definitely better than Book of Boba Fett. Fuck that show. Oh, my God. Ugh. If you guys want to hear my beef about Boba Fett, Book of Boba Fett, I love Boba Fett as a character, but the Book of Boba Fett, comment down below. Tell me if you want me to make a video about that. Seems like they might get another season, but who knows. Um, yeah, I'm getting kind of tired now, but I still need to go watch Miss Marvel and record my review for that. So that is all I have to say about season one of Obi-Wan Kenobi and the sixth episode. I hope you guys enjoyed this video. Leave a like on the video. Comments. Try not to uh, comment any spoilers there. If you want to talk to me about spoilers, hit me up on Instagram at popculturepodcast. Um, DM me there. And subscribe, please. I would very much appreciate it. That is all I got for you. May the force be with you. I will see you in the next one. All right, so Miss Marvel Episode 3 is available now on Disney+. Plus. I know I'm a little late to my review, but uh, it's just how it goes sometimes. Also, I need to try to make this a little quick because I'm going to see Elvis in like an hour. So I want to be able to get there in time and get my snacks and all that. But yeah, let's talk about episode three. This will be a purely spoiler review. So if you haven't watched episode three or really, you know, any of the episodes so far, I suggest suggest you click off the video. So uh, yeah, do that now if you don't want spoilers. But let's start off at the beginning, shall we? Also, there's a couple flies flying around right now. I think I inhaled one at one point. So <clears throat> my voice kind of hurts. It's really annoying. I need a fly swatter, but too busy right now. Uh, so we open in British-controlled India in 1942, and a group of people find a bangle, and uh, yeah, they're like, hey, a bangle, nice. Um, <laughs> the group consists of Najma, who we saw in the ending of the last episode, um, Cameron's mother. Uh, we also have Fariha, probably saying that wrong, Salim, and Aisha, which is the great-great-great-grandmother of Kamal, I believe. Um, <clears throat> the British start attacking, we get this overhead shot where we see in the ground is a carving of the Ten Rings logo. I think that's just a little Easter egg. I don't think that's anything like connected to these people at all. I think that's just where the artifact was. 
But um, <clears throat> Aisha puts on the bangle and tells the other people, like, I got this. Just, just like, get out of here. Um, I'll meet up with you. And then we learn that's the last time they saw Aisha. So they don't know if she's dead, alive, what happened to her, you know, what have you. Um, and we learn that Najma is telling all this to Kamala. And she also says, hey, we're uh, actually from a another dimension. And, um, yeah, we're called, what are they, the clandestines? Clandestines? Clandestines. Destines? Clandestines, that's what it is. Um, but they're better known as the Jinn, which Kamala seems to be very shocked by. Didn't know what that was until later on the episode, which I'll get to in a bit. But um, we learned that the power that Kamala has is called the Nor. And uh, everybody from that dimension has that power in them. But since these individuals were exiled from their dimension and brought to this one, um, <clears throat> their powers aren't as strong. But it's also what helps them, you know, age slower. So uh, that's part of their powers there. But since Kamala was born in this dimension that we're seeing her in, um, it's very possible that she can unlock the full potential of the Nor. And it's also possible that Cameron can as well, since he was born in this dimension. Um, and that's a little nod to him having powers in the, in the comics. Forget his superhero name, but I know for sure that he is a character in the comics that has powers. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, maybe we'll see that at some point in the future. Probably not in this season, but maybe, um, uh, maybe in a future season if they plan to do more, which I really hope so, or possibly in a future movie. But yeah, let's move on here. Uh, we learn a little bit about the djinn from Yusuf. Um, he, uh, Bruno's like trying to help Kamala figure out what's going on with them and try to help them get back home. And uh, Yusuf ends up going to the convenience store and seeing that he's studying it and then reads it for him. And this is what he read here. Let me see. Um, <clears throat> Supernatural be beings of pre-Islamic folklore. The djinn have had many names across time and cultures. Some call them genies, others demons. Legend tells of a group hidden jinn, um, group of hidden jinn, uh, ex exiled from their home world and damned to live out their days trapped in our own. They move in the shadows, searching for the key that will help them get home. But to unlock such an ancient barrier will require will require primordial power. Um, so yeah, they're basically demons, and that's why Kamala was so shocked because. Jinn are basically like the ghost stories for for their culture. Um, yeah, let me see here. Muniba, Kamala's mom, keeps growing on me each episode. I feel bad for being so mad at her in the first episode review. But yeah, the moment she has with Kamala here, um, you know, saying like, you don't have to do anything alone. Kamala hugging her and stuff. That made me very emotional. Uh, also, I forget what the guy's name is, but the guy that says like... Uh, good is not a thing you are it's a thing you do that made me emotional as well and then that moment that Yusuf has with Amir uh Kamala's brother uh later on the episode before his wedding also made me emotional so three times that I got emotional during this episode um keeping up the trend with Obi-Wan Kenobi because that was the exact number of times I got emotional in that episode as well um let me see here don't want to skip over anything important um Bruno made Kamala her mask. We didn't get to see her wear it yet in this episode, but hopefully by the next one we will. Um, let me see here. Bruno mentions a paper that he read by Dr. Eric Selvig from the Thor movies, played by Stellan Skarsgård. Uh, again, making sure I'm not skipping over anything here. Um, Bruno is like, it's going to take a, a huge amount of energy and things could go boom. So we need to prepare for this rather than do it right away. And Najma does not like that. She wants to go after Kamala and try to just take the bangle. And, you know, she's she's not asking anymore. That's exactly what she said. I'm not asking anymore. So she she and the rest of the djinn go after her uh, at Amir's wedding. But damage control ends up stopping the djinn and arresting them. It looks like Kamala gets away, uh, as well as Bruno. And then Nadia ends up learning that Kamala is the superhero that uh you know saved the kid at the 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 festival i'm just gonna call it the festival i forgot what it was called but um yeah she finds out about that and that then at the end of the episode her grandmother calls her and is like hey you and your mom need to come to karachi 
which I'm assuming is a city in Pakistan or something like that. But, um, yeah, it, because she ended up seeing, like, the same vision that she had when, uh, when Najma ended up grabbing Kamala's bangle and they both saw the, the vision of the train. Um, so the grandmother saw that too. And she's like, you guys need to come to Karachi. So maybe we'll see that in the next episode. Maybe that's where it's going. Um, keeping up the trend with, uh, Moon Knight and kind of jumping around to different places. Kind of cool. Um, <laughs> the Bon Jovi cover band, that was perfect. And then they played living on a prayer during the fight scene. Very fun fight scene. I was surprised to see Kamala really holding her own during that fight. Um, you know, she's still running away for the most part, but I think she did a pretty darn good job. Um, the party looked really fun, too. I'll tell you that much. Um, but, yeah, Cameron's mom going after her and stuff like that. I'm just like, ugh. So, the, the, I guess damage control and these, these Jin are basically the two main villains of this show. Um, I would say damage control is most likely going to be the less, the less threatening one, I guess you could say the less important one, the more important one definitely being the djinn. Um, you know, for, for a little bit there, I was just like, is damage control just going to be the villain of this, the series? I mean, I wouldn't hate that, but it, it definitely feels more street level, but also, um, you know, there's that cosmic aspect that we have to bring into the show. So. Um, just learning that these people are from a different dimension and learning the backstory of that. It's really cool. There's still some gaps to fill in, I feel like. Like, I don't know why they were exiled. Um, they didn't mention why, but yeah, some cool Easter eggs in this, this episode. Hinting at, or not hinting, but, uh, nodding, giving a nod to, uh, Dr. Eric Selvig from the Thor movies and also the little, uh, Ten Rings cameo, or not cameo, but the Ten Rings logo uh, in that temple. That was very cool to see and, uh, very surprising. But at a at a point in this episode when Kamala and Bruno were cornered, I was kind of expecting Carol, Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel to show up. Uh, I definitely think she's going to show up in this show. Um, I'm not sure when, but that, I feel like that would have been a little too soon. Kamala has to be able to get out of these situations herself for the most part to actually grow as a, not only a character, not only as a girl, but as a superhero as well. So, um, yeah, really great episode. I would say each episode is getting better and better. I'm loving this show so far. This is surpassing Loki for me, which is my favorite current Disney Plus show. Um, <clears throat> if it keeps going the way it is, then this will probably end up becoming my favorite Disney Plus show in terms of Marvel, at least. Um, but yeah, pretty great episode. So this is a spoiler only review. So if you want to comment down below with any spoiler discussion kind of stuff, I would definitely be up for that. I would love to see your comments. Leave a like on the video and please, please, please subscribe. Thank you to the people that have been subscribing recently. Very much appreciate you. I've been having cool conversations with cool people. So I appreciate having the engagement with the people who watch my stuff. So thank you all very much for watching. I know kind of a short video when it comes to this episode three review. But like I said, kind of in a hurry. I need to go to the movies. So. I will see you guys in the next one, which will definitely be my review of Elvis. Thank you guys so much for listening. I really appreciate your support, especially the people that have been subscribing over on my YouTube channel. If you are not already subscribed to my YouTube channel, I suggest you do so. Um, most of the time you end up getting reviews early, except for the black phone review that will be coming out the day after this podcast airs. But um, yeah, for the most part, there's always early reviews there of TV shows and movies. So feel free to head over there. The link in the bio of my Instagram at pop culture podcast should take you to a page full of links where you can find my link to YouTube. You know, you can also find my links to Instagram, Facebook. Uh, what else am I on? Apple podcast, Spotify. And then there's also a link to my website and my T public store. So, uh, Feel free to go pick up some merch items on my Tee Public store. I have four designs available. I think they're all pretty freaking sweet. Two of them are going to be leaving soon, most likely. I just keep forgetting to take them off. So get them while you can, unless I remember like to do it after recording this. So maybe you won't be able to get them. But yeah, uh, like I said, I really appreciate, appreciate you guys listening. I'm not 100% certain if Thor comes out next week, but I'm pretty sure it does. Um, also we have the boys finale coming up soon, I believe. So 
Expect a review of Season 1 of The Boys coming out within the next couple of weeks or so. Also, Miss Marvel reviews coming out every week as those episodes come out. Um, and I don't think there's there's Umbrella Academy Season 3 out now, but honestly, I don't remember much of Season 1 or 2, so I'll probably have to rewatch those before going into Season 3. So it might be a minute before I get to that one, or I might not get to that one at all. So if I don't, sorry, but... You know, hit me up on Instagram or Facebook or leave a comment on one of my YouTube videos saying, hey, I want you to review it and uh, maybe I'll be able to get to it if I know that people actually want to see that. But uh, yeah, that's all I got for you guys. I will see you next week and uh, yeah, have a good one.